Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Well, ladies and gentlemen, what's happened before just might happen again. And again. And again. For decades, Gerard Jerry Howell had provided a service in his church and avoided punishment for it. His church considers it credible sexual abuse. The allegations leveled against him by dozens of children, including many deaf youths whom he met through his work. This is from The Guardian. Now, Howell has found another way around what little administrative accountability he eventually faced, this time with the help of the Archdiocese and the Archbishop of New Orleans. Makes me so proud. I'm busting my buttons. A court order put a halt to retirement benefits paid to Howell and other similarly accused priests, but only after the Archdiocese declared bankruptcy four years ago, it continued to struggle managing the fallout of a decades-old clerical abuse scandal. Steeped in the tears of... No, forget it. Nonetheless, in a private letter to a high-ranking Vatican official in the U.S., the New Orleans Archbishop Gregory Amond made clear how little he thought of the court order, putting all to retirement benefits for Howell, saying the mandate was, quote, unjust and painful, unquote. Amond also wrote that a high-ranking aide had sent Howell information about a nonprofit which financially, quote, assists priests such as Father Howell, unquote, even though the group's leader had been previously shut down by Michigan's attorney general for misusing donations and mis- misleading donors about the purpose of his organization. Quote, We fervently pray that Father Howell's pursuit of those outside resources is successful, unquote, the archbishop in a letter to the Vatican's U.S. ambassador. Quote, My heart goes out to him, unquote. The Guardian and WWL TV station in New Orleans, or a radio station, it doesn't make clear which, they both have the same call letters, obtained secret correspondence between church officials about Howell, as the news outlets continue reporting on the extent to which the Archdiocese of New Orleans coddled, suspected, and in some cases admitted or convicted child molesters. Letters between Howell and the Vatican's U.S. Ambassador, Archbishop Christophe Pierre, between Amond, the uh, local Archbishop and Pierre, and from the Church's own psychological evaluation of Howell, provide the fullest account available of support he received from the Archdiocese for decades without interruption. Howell is among uh, more than 70 clergymen whom the New Orleans Archdiocese considers to have been credibly accused of child molestation. But Howell's inclusion on that roster, first published 
In 19, uh, sorry, in 2018, came eight years after Amon, the archbishop, received a psychologist's report warning that Howell, quote, will always be high risk due to the number of incidents of abuse he perpetrated against young children. The report continues, one of the few groups of sexual offenders that continue to abuse into the elderly years is pedophiles, unquote, referring to Howell, Nile. 84, quote, with a pedophile, one cannot count on the aging process to naturally diminish deviant arousal or extinguish sexually abusive behavior, unquote. One of Howell's victims, a uh, female named Kathy Austin, said she had no idea the archdiocese had already reported the priest to law enforcement until the two media, WWL and The Guardian, informed her. She also could not believe it when she was told the archdiocese, citing an obligation under church law, ignored the psychological evaluation of Howell and paid his full rent, insurance, and utilities, along with a monthly stipend of $650 for another decade. She was incredulous, too, that when the judge overseeing the archdiocese bankruptcy directed the church to stop providing such support to credibly accused priests, the archbishop not only complained the order was unfair, he also gave her abuser advice on how to effectively stage an end run around that directive. Howell didn't immediately respond to requests for comment. Visitors to a New Orleans church website can still see local Catholic officials touting Howell's appointment as the Archdiocese's first director of the local deaf apostolate. Austin, her sister Darlene, and about two dozen other people have alleged over the years that Howell molested them as children while at the Catholic Center for the Hearing Impaired, which he started in 1967. The Austin sisters went public with their stories of abuse at the hands of Howell as far back as 1992. As part of that reporting, the uh, TV or radio station WWL interviewed a therapist who treated Howell's accusers and said the archdiocese simply refused to remove him from the ministry. Quote, in this particular case, the church knows and they're not doing anything about it, said Linda Connor. Howell himself, in the confidential records obtained by the newspaper, revealed just how long authorities were aware of alleged abusive behavior, but did little about it. He wrote that late New Orleans Archbishop Philip Hannon reported Howell to the local district attorney, Harry Connick Sr., for possible criminal charges as far back as 1980. Connick, a famously pious Catholic who's the father of renowned singer Harry Connick Jr., never filed charges against Howell. WWL 1992 report on Howell triggered a response from the uh, late Archbishop Francis Schulte, who a year after the TV report ordered the priest to, as that then Archbishop put it, quote, quit and get a job, unquote. Howell appealed to the Vatican, 
and in 1995, the Archbishop Schulte let Howell continue as a priest with full financial benefits. Glad he spelled that out. Amon became New Orleans Archbishop in 2009, and a year later, he sent Howell to a treatment center. More recently, Howell claimed in writing he was cleared after that evaluation, but a letter to Amon, the Archbishop, from the psychologist who evaluated Howell, contradicts him. That uh, psychologist, Monica Applewhite, said Howell should still be considered a pedophile who could not be rehabilitated, and warned it was likely that either she, sorry, unlikely that either she or the church knew his complete history. The Archbishop knows of at least 24 cases, and given the young age and exceptional vulnerability of the children, many of whom were deaf, this is likely to be a significant underestimate of the full volume of cases, the therapist wrote, adding that Howell would always, quote, be high risk. Continuing the quote, Jerry has not demonstrated the level of openness that can make living in a community a safe situation for a man with his history, unquote, the therapist. Everything old is new again. Hello, welcome to the show. Wanna do death balls boom, boom. in the next room? Boom, boom. Now they're in the closet boom, boom. between me and the broom. Boom, boom. Half a dozen death balls. Boom, boom. Mm, nice little crowd. Boom, boom. They can be quiet. Boom, boom. And I can be loud. Boom, boom. Four and twenty death balls. Boom, Take me all day, boom, boom. Barely got the time to boom, boom. eat and to pray. Boom, boom. Deaf boys can't hear me coming. Deaf boys, don't you dare call it slumming. Might be a chink in my priestly parts, but how can I resist? How can deaf I resist? Boys? Half a hundred deaf balls. Who got a head of steam? I could be the coach. They could be the team. Eighty-eight deaf boys. One for each key. On the piano of my longing, they play a hushed melody. 150 deaf boys Oh, this could get tight A few dozen in the morning And all the rest at night Deaf boys can't hear me coming Deaf boys got my heartstrings strings strumming Make me make such a joyful noise Just can't get enough Just can't get enough If I had a deaf boy for each day of the year, 365, oh, that would be dear. How many deaf boys 
have there actually been? Boom, boom. Why not ask how many? Boom, boom. Dance on the head of a pin. Boom, boom. The world is full of deaf boys. Boom, boom. And I'm only one man. Boom, boom. All that God expects is boom, boom. do all that you can. Deaf boys can't hear me coming. Deaf boys got me hymning and humming. A shepherd with a closet full of toys. Let's hear it for those deaf boys. From Santa Monica, California, home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of the show. And now, shall we celebrate on this very warm weekend in Santa Monica? Shall we celebrate, I say, the continuation, perhaps forever, of this crypto winter? Terraform Labs known as TFL. To those of us who know it as TFL, it's a company behind a stablecoin, TerraUSD. That uh, coin collapsed and roiled the markets in cryptocurrency a couple of years ago. Terraform Labs, I say, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in the U.S. this week, according to Reuters. It's a Singapore-based company, which, of course, means nothing. In a filing with the bankruptcy court in Delaware, all right then, there wasn't a court in uh, Singapore to handle this, it listed assets and liabilities in the range of 100 to 500 million. Is that all? Terraform Labs said it would meet all financial obligations to employees and vendors during the case without needing additional financing. It also plans to continue Web3 offerings and expanding them. Quote, the the filing will allow TFL, Terraform Labs, to execute on its business plan while navigating ongoing legal proceedings, including representative litigation pending in Singapore and U.S. litigation involving the Securities and Exchange Commission. Unquote the statement from Terraform Labs. So they'll be in litigation in both the U.S. and Singapore. That sounds fair. The uh, SEC's civil case against Terraform is linked to the collapse of TerraUSD, a so-called stablecoin designed to maintain a constant price of one U.S. dollar. And the collapse of uh, a traditional crypto token, Luna, which closely associated with TerraUSD. Recently, a federal judge postponed the trial of the SEC against the company and its co-founder, Do Kwan. Wasn't that the guy, that the comedian that hosted the uh, Golden Globes? No, that was Joe Coy. Over an alleged $40 billion cryptocurrency fraud to enable Kwan's extradition for his participation. Kwan and Terraform Labs were held responsible for two cryptocurrencies whose collapse caused turbulence in crypto markets around the world a couple of years ago. Both cryptocurrencies lost an estimated $40 billion or more when TerraUSD failed to maintain its 
$1 peg in May of 2022. And in another example of crypto a winner, the man who posed as the chief executive of the collapsed crypto scheme Hyperverse, remember them from a couple of weeks ago? He has confirmed he was paid to act the part, receiving 100, well, no, sorry, that was Thai money, about $5,000 over nine months and a free suit as payment, according to the Guardian. Stephen Harrison, an Englishman living in Thailand, who posed as Chief Executive Stephen Reese Lewis for the launch of Hyperverse in late 2021 and early 22, told The Guardian's Australian edition he was shocked, shocked, I say, to learn the company had presented him as having fake credentials to promote the scheme. He said he felt sorry for those who had lost money in relation to the scheme, which he said he had no role in, an amount that Chainalysis estimates at U.S. $1.3 billion in losses in 2022 alone. Quote, I'm sorry for these people, said Harrison, because they believed some idea with me as the forefront and believed in what I said, and God knows what these people have lost, and I do feel bad about this. I do feel deeply sorry for these people. I really do. You know, it's, uh, it's horrible for them. I just hope that there's some resolution. I know it's hard to get the money back off these people or whatever, but I just hope there can be some justice served in all of this where they can get to the bottom of this. He said he, unquote, he said he wanted to make clear he had certainly not pocketed any of the money lost by investors. He was, at the time, a freelance television presenter engaged in unpaid football commentary. He'd been approached and offered the hyperverse work by a friend of a friend. He said he was new to the industry and had been open to picking up more work and experience as a corporate presenter. I was told I was acting out a role to represent the business. Many people do this. He said he trusted his agent. Well, there's your first mistake, bud. And accepted that. After reading through the scripts, he said he was initially suspicious about the company he was hired to represent because he was unfamiliar with the crypto industry, but said he'd been reassured by his agent that the company was legitimate. And he was assured by the company that the agent was legitimate. So that, no, sorry. He said he'd also done some of his own online research, always a good idea, into the organization and found articles about the Australian blockchain entrepreneur and hypertech chairman, Sam Lee. I went away and actually looked at the company because I was concerned that it could be a scam, Harrison said. So I learned, I looked online a bit and everything seemed okay, so I rolled with it. Lee founded the Australian Bitcoin blockchain Gobel with uh, Ryan Zhu, which collapsed in 2021, owing creditors $58 million, is all. Lee and Zhu have been referred to the Australian Securities and Investments Commission for potential breaches of the law in relation to blockchain Gobel, but the... Uh, Commission has said it does not intend to take action. Harrison, the actor, said he'd been told in his second recording that he needed to use a fake name. That's why, and they were like, well, you know, you're an actor. You're acting the role. You're presenting the business. 
And uh, my agent said, many people do this in the business. This is perfectly normal. Unquote. And so is the agent. In the videos, Harrison spoke generally about the opportunities offered for people who invested in the hyperverse, but did not explicitly ask for funds or make any claims about potential returns. He said he'd only learned of the fake credentials that accompanied the launch presentation he featured in through an investigation by The Guardian that confirmed none of the organizations cited had any record of a Stephen Reese Lewis. That included claims that he held degrees from Leeds and Cambridge universities and had worked for more than 10 years in the fintech industry. I was absolutely shocked at what I saw, Harrison said. I never went online and checked about Stephen Reese Lewis. I looked on YouTube occasionally, way back when they put the presentations up, but apart from that, I was, I was just, I was detached from this role. When I read that in the papers, I was like, blooming heck, they make me sound so highly educated. I have GSEs. I have GCSEs. I'm certainly not on that level. They painted a good picture of me, but they never told me any of this. Unquote. He said all of the other claimed qualifications and work experience cited in the presentation were also fake. After the report in the Australian edition of The Guardian, a U.S.-based YouTuber, Jack Gamble, revealed Harrison's true identity. This prompted Harrison to come forward to share what he knew. According to Harrison's contract for the role, an unsigned copy, which has been seen by The Guardian, he was employed as, quote, presenter talent by an Indonesian-based talent agency called Mass Focus Limited. Guardian Australia can find no record of a company of this name on the Indonesian company register. They can't even find evidence of the existence of Indonesia there. Harrison said that aside from scripted online interactions, he never, never spoke with anyone from Hyperverse, dealing solely with his local contact and, of course, with his agent. He emphasized he had no contact at any point with either Lee or Zoo. In addition to the scripts for his appearances in videos, he was also provided with one woolen cashmere suit, two business shirts, two ties, and a pair of shoes for the part. The filming took place, he said, in makeshift studios in Bangkok. Would love to see that. Including an apartment in the Ekamal district and later in the Empire Tower in Southam. He said he had no oversight of the Twitter account run under the chief executive's fake name, nor the messages of support for the scheme obtained from a clutch of celebrities including the Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak and the actor Chuck Norris. One question, ladies and gentlemen, about the crypto world. What about it isn't fake? He's not a general. He commands no troops. He's not an inspector. He peeks at no stoops. He's an inspector. General. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The COVID pandemic forced units and offices throughout the Defense Department 
ladies and gentlemen, to stock up on a range of supplies from disposable masks to gloves and disinfectant. All of them could be purchased with a government-issued credit card and paid off by the Pentagon, according to the Marine Corps Times. But a Defense Department Inspector General review of more than 100,000 government purchase card transactions from March 2020 to January 22 reveals that roughly $54 million in purchases didn't align with COVID-19 necessities. That's uh, nearly 40% of the $242 million spent on such needs, according to the AIG. Another $52 million in purchases wasn't properly documented, and the Inspector General wasn't able to verify what the cardholders actually bought. We bought the thing with the card, you know, the thing. The audit determined, this is a quote, the DOD government purchase card program officials did not conduct the required oversight to identify and correct improper or unsupported purchases by cardholders, said Robert Storch, the Pentagon's inspector general, in a release accompanying the report. The White House de declaration of a national emergency freed up millions of dollars to be spent on pandemic response, but the IG report concluded that a large chunk of what the DOD spent during that time, it spends in chunks apparently, was paid for with emergency funds despite the purchases having nothing to do with the pandemic. Ain't that peculiar. In one example, an Army cardholder spent $2,000 on a plumber to investigate a sinkhole, then coded the purchase as COVID-19. The official who then signed off on the expense didn't correct the coding. In another, an Air Force cardholder spent, a cardholder spent $540 on internet service. When questioned, the command blamed oversight error and high turnover rate at the location, according to the IG. The erroneously coded, trans, coded transactions weren't corrected, according to the report, because the officials charged with reviewing the transactions didn't do their jobs, despite existing guidelines requiring such reviews within 60 days. Quote, addressing these issues is cru crucial to maintaining accountability, transparency, and the effective use of taxpayer resources. In the response to COVID-19, Storch said in his report, when asked about the review practices, the Army said there was confusion about the requirements. The Navy gave conflicting versions of their practices, and the Air Force said they aren't required to dis document or report the results of their reviews. Up the chain of command. The head of defense pricing and contracting agreed that $52 million had gone undocumented but denied that the other $53 million was improperly spent. Quote, however, we concluded that the expenditure of funds were not necessary or reasonable for the intended and reported purchase, purpose, response to COVID-19, and therefore met the definition of a questioned cost. According to the IG report, the Inspector General recommended the government purchase card program not only re-emphasize the importance of documenting payment, but also create a process that will at least semi-annually review purchases made in the name of a contingency operation. As of the release of the report, defense pricing and contracting has agreed to all the recommendations 
hasn't completed them yet. Of course we'll wait. News of the Inspector General. Always peculiar, at least. This is Le Show from Santa Monica. And now... Well, this is the story of... Uh, an eight-time NBA All-Star and NBA champion, Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard, known uh, many successes in his 20-year career, but um, on the mean streets of crypto, he's had um, something other than success recently. Late last week, as a matter of fact, Howard who last played in the NBA two years ago, abruptly announced he was launching a collection of 3,000 NFTs. Remember those? On the Avalanche Network. Remember it? No, neither do I. This is Dwight Howard from the NBA, the veteran athlete wrote. See you this weekend on Chain. Unquote. Days later, the 3,000-piece profile picture collection... Ballers by Dwight Howard debuted to a somewhat less than fabulous reception. 
the NFTs, which each cost two AVACs to mint, roughly $60, attracted only a handful of buyers after a day barely 10% of the collection had been sold. Times had clearly changed since the 2021-22 heyday of celebrity-backed NFT collections flying off the shelves. The result was clearly not what Howard expected. He immediately attempted to pivot and salvage the situation. Less than 24 hours after the collection opened for minting, Howard announced that in light of widespread public backlash at the collection's art quality and underlying value, ballers would be undergoing a substantial redesign. The uh, former All-Star Center attempted to lure more collectors by pledging that every time 100 additional baller NFTs were minted, he would personally send one AVAX, about $30, to 10 different ballers' holders. Additionally, Howard also committed to buying an NFT from the popular Dokyo World Project for each 100 ballers minted. In an apparent attempt to encourage that NFT community to support Baller's success. Shortly thereafter, Howard slashed the total number of Baller's NFTs from 3,000 to 1,500. He has since tweeted that he's, quote, leaning, building, and evolving, unquote. Tactics apparently failed to help much. As of the uh, writing of this piece, 457 Ballers NFTs have been minted so far, roughly 15% of the original supply. Further, the collection's floor price has fallen to 1.735 AVAX, below the project's mint price. A kiss of death for struggling new NFT collections. The negative buzz surrounding Ballers grew loud enough that representatives of AVA Labs the company behind the Avalanche Network, uh-huh, felt the need to step in and distance themselves from the project, said Jake Svengro, a business development executive at Ava Labs. We at Ava Labs had no involvement with ballers. Gone are the days that individuals or brands with large followings can just drop IP-related NFTs out of nowhere and expect it to do well. Unquote. Howard swatted away a request for comment. Also in this smart world, deliveries of Lockheed Martin's F-35 fighter jets to the U.S. military are being delayed again, despite all the metal. Software is the culprit. According to the Register, Lockheed CEO and President Jim Taiklet, or Taiklet, blamed the delays on software, software associated with Technology Refresh 3. TR-3, a key component of modernization efforts for the aircraft, which was first delivered to the U.S. military way back in 2015. Quote, while the system maturation process continues to advance, it is taking somewhat longer, more time than we originally anticipated, Clay said. Lockheed is still targeting the second quarter of this year for delivery of the new F-35s, but we now believe that the third quarter may be more likely scenario for a TR-3 software acceptance, he added. Unfortunately, the work is going slowly, and that means fewer fighters, few as forces. 
Even with Lockheed claiming TR-3 would be ready this year, its F-35 delivery numbers have continued to drop. Takele said on yesterday's earnings call, which was this week, that Lockheed expects to deliver somewhere between 75 and 110 of the aircraft next year. The smaller end of that range would put it even below last year's decreased deliveries. Guys, build them yourself, then fly them. The um, aircraft, one of them, went missing last year after pilot ejected and the aircraft kept flying for 60 miles before finally crashing, leading to days of searching for the remains of the stealth fighter. Line of trouble for the F-35 in recent past. Not long after that incident, the GAO reported that F-35 aircraft were only ready for flight 55% of the time due to complicated maintenance needs as well as a lack of training and parts. Also in the smart world, 23andMe, the uh, DNA collection biz, the one that blamed its own customers for a mega breach last October, has just admitted it failed to detect any malicious activity for the entire five months that attackers were breaking into user accounts. In a collection of data breach notifications filed with California's Attorney General, 23andMe revealed attackers were using credential stuffing techniques between April and September. It also said the malicious activity was only detected in October after seeing a Reddit post related to the sale of the data rather than internal security tooling picking up on the mess. It's not clear how many accounts were targeted over that five-month period. The company previously said 14,000 accounts were broken into, accounts that had the DNA relatives feature enabled, which ultimately exposed the data of 6.9 million individuals. DNA relatives is a core feature of 23andMe. It, allowed you, it allows users to find individuals they may be related to based on how strong the DNA match is between them. If an account was compromised through credential stuffing, the data shared by those with even a minuscule percentage of shared DNA could have been scooped up by the attacker. 23andMe laid out the type of data that could have been stolen, basic profile information, Last login data, relationship labels, masculine, feminine, neutral, predicted relationships such as great aunt, percentage of DNA shared, and the account display name. Users can also choose to share additional information with those who share their DNA, including ancestry reports, matching DNA segments, Location, ancestor, birth locations, family names, profile picture, birth year, family trees, and personal bios. Credential stuffing attacks, according to the register, can in some cases be difficult to detect, given that the uh, compromised accounts were accessed through the proper credentials, although there are various controls that can be implemented to help spot malicious activities. The main way to stop credential stuffing in its tracks is to just enable two-factor authentication.
so you can waste more of your time in this smart, smart world. And now, the Apologies of the Week. So sorry. The Asheville, North Carolina Citizen Times has publicly apologized for a full-page ad that appeared in its Sunday print edition last week that disparaged Israel and the Jewish faith. The ad contained numerous Bible verses as well as commentary condemning Judaism and ran on an inside page under a paid ad heading with the headline, God's Chosen People. The subsequent apology appeared Wednesday on page 3A in the front section on the headline, Note to our readers, quote, The Asheville Citizen Times apologizes for an ad that published on Sunday. While the content was a paid ad, it is not representative of our values or standards. We are taking internal action to ensure that a similar publishing mistake does not occur in the future. We deeply regret the error. Dateline Nashville, you know the one. The Grand Ole Opry has apologized to concert goers after L. King, E-L-L-E, drunkenly botched a profanity-filled performance at a Dolly Parton tribute show in honor of Dolly's 78th birthday. She's a baby. This uh, comes from Gray News. Quote, hi, my name is L. King. I'm effing hammered. The 34-year-old singer told the audience in a TikTok video of the incident. The admission came after she slurred, slurred her way through a Dolly song, Marry Me. At one point, Elle made up words when she forgot the real lyrics. I don't know the lyrics of this thing in this effing town. Don't tell Dolly because it's her birthday, she sang. The swearing on stage continued as she berated audience, audience members for having to see her perform. I'm not even gonna effing lie. You bought tickets for this S-T? You ain't getting your money back. I can barely play another person's song. Let's see if I can play one of mine. King, the person involved, is the daughter of actor Rob Schneider. Since she grew up in Los Angeles and later Ohio, many people on social media wondered why she was putting on a fake Southern accent during the show. Others were upset by all the profanity, which typically isn't seen on the Opry's family-friendly stage. The legendary venue responded to apologize. Quote, we deeply regret and apologize for the language that was used during last night's second Opry performance, the Grand Ole Opry wrote. Well, that's good enough for me. Speaking of music, a black metal band by the name of Martyrdom has apologized after something was tossed around at their recent show. A pig's head without the pig attached. The incident happened Friday, January 19th at the White Swan in Houston. Headlining that night were devoured trachea and accosted. Yes, that accosted. Video footage shared on social media shows the head being thrown toward the back of the audience with at least one concert goer exclaiming, gross, but that could have just been about the music. After seeing backlash for the stunt from those in the vegan community and other individuals who were simply grossed out, 
martyrdom issued the following statement. Hi everyone, we just want to start off by saying we are incredibly sorry to anyone we offended with our actions and gimmicks on stage. We are a black metal band, and as part of it, we try to add a little bit of imagery and shock value to our set. Unfortunately, our act has gotten carried away and way out of hand, offending many and even harming some. We want to apologize to any vegans, Muslims, or other minority groups we may have offended, and to anyone who was harmed by our act. H&M, the uh, clothing emporium, has apologized for and removed a school uniform advertisement in Australia. Users on social media had complained that the ad sexualized children. Quote, we've removed this ad, the Swedish fashion giant told CNN. Continuing the quote, we are deeply sorry for the offense this has caused, and we're looking into how we present campaigns going forward, unquote. The ad featured two elementary schoolgirls dressed in school uniform with the slogan, Make those heads turn in H&M's back-to-school fashion. It prompted a backlash on social media, where users called it creepy, disturbing, and recalled their own experience of being ogled while still in school. A Dallas-based baby apparel brand, Kite Baby, has been under fire this week for taking a hard line on remote work, according to Business Insider. The company allegedly fired its studio coordinator, Marissa Hughes, after she requested to work remotely to care for her newborn baby. The decision sparked backlash on social media. Angry customers began boycotting the brand, and the company's founder and CEO, Ying Liu, has apologized for the decision on TikTok twice. Quote, I was insensitive, selfish, and had only been focused on the fact that her job had always been done on site, and I did not see the possibility of doing it remotely, Liu said in an apology video on TikTok. Thinking back, it was a terrible mistake. So stop boycotting me. No, she didn't say that. A Labour MP in Britain has apologized after saying Prime Minister Rishi Sunak had, quote, the blood of thousands of innocent people on his hands. Over the Israel-Gaza conflict, Tahir Ali made the comment in Parliament, so I guess he's immune from anything, as he challenged the Prime Minister about the UK's stance on the war. He apologized shortly afterwards after being asked to do so, by Labour's chief whip. Ouch! But he added he did not resile from my strongly held views on the conflict. R-E-S-I-L-E. Look it up. I did. Another day, another incident with a Boeing passenger jet. This time when a landing gear wheel popped off a Delta Airlines 757 while it was waiting to take off out of Atlanta. Anything that slows your ex exit from Atlanta is a bad thing. According to the FAA's report of the incident, Delta Flight 982 to El Dorado International in Bogota, Colombia, was lined up for takeoff when a nose wheel came off and rolled down the hill. So the gravity was working. No one was hurt in the incident, per the FAA. 757 nose landing wheels come in pairs. The aircraft was towed off the runway eventually. Delta told the register the flight's passengers were transferred to another aircraft. 
which arrived in Colombia a little over five hours late. Delta said all customers and their bags were removed from the aircraft, transferred to the gate and onto a replacement aircraft. We apologize to our customers for the inconvenience. Delta said the incident is still under investigation. The aircraft was returned to service the following day after repairs. When asked for comment, Boeing directed questioners to Delta, saying it ended the deliveries of the 757 20 years ago. The uh, aircraft in question had been part of Delta's fleet since 1992. Didn't look that old. An Oklahoma state lawmaker says he will change the language of a bill he proposed that designates designates anyone, quote, of Hispanic descent that is a member of a criminal street gang and convicted of a gang-related offense as a terrorist. Oklahoma State Representative Justin Humphrey of Republican introduced uh, HB 3133 earlier this month. The bill has been met with backlash, with some critics labeling it racist. Quote, I am not trying to offend any race, Humphrey told CNN. Quote continues, I support the Hispanic people. I'm willing to change this to improve the language. Very happy to do that. I do want to make certain that people understand I don't believe I was wrong. I can absolutely respect that and say, you know what? I believe I'm right, but I can respect your opinion. And if I offended you, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you, he said. Unquote, or unquote, he said. No, he didn't say unquote. Unquote what he said. He did not intend to target people of Hispanic descent, he also said, and pushed back on allegations that he was a racist. Quote, the whole world can call me racist, doesn't bother me because I know I'm not a racist, and anybody who's around me would know that as well. It doesn't matter what race you are if you're not engaging in those activities then the bill does not apply to you, unquote. Nedlin Ugdeli, Ukrainian junior tennis player Yelzaveta Kotliar, has issued a heartfelt apology after facing criticism from her National Tennis Federation after she shook hands with her Russian opponent, Vlada Mincheva, at the Australian Open. The incident occurred during the first round of the girls' tournament, Girls, that's the Times of India talking, defying an unwritten rule among Ukrainian players to refrain from congratulating Russian and Belarusian opponents due to the ongoing conflict in their homeland. The Ukraine Tennis Federation labeled Kotliar's handshake as a, quote, unpleasant incident, unquote, reinforcing its stance that Ukrainian players should avoid handshakes with representatives of aggressor countries. In a statement, the Federation said players had been informed about this policy and Kotliar's action was deemed a mistake. Kotliar is four, uh, sorry, 16 years old. She received support from her father, Constantine, who mentioned that his daughter was not thinking clearly in a pressure situation. He emphasized her lack of experience in major com- competitions, particularly Grand Slam tournaments, in a statement on behalf of his daughter, Constantine declared she performed a post-match ritual, shook the hand of the opponent, did not understand that behind the net was a representative of a country who attacked our homeland. 
She is deeply sorry and assures that she will never allow anything like this again. Unquote. Her dad. And finally, Ja Rule is currently gearing up to make his return to music, according to Hip Hop DX. He has taken a moment to apologize to his fans for the long wait. He took to uh, X, formerly Twitter, where he reflected on his over-decade-long break as a recording artist, admitting his lengthy hiatus makes him sad. Damn, sitting here listening to my new album, and it's making me sad. And I should never have stopped making music. I'm sorry. Unquote. Ja Rule. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. Back next week, same time, same radio station, or on your audio device of choice whenever the heck you want it. Maybe you'll be here too. Dang, I sure hope so. 
speaking as a guest singer at a Dolly Parton event, might have said. The email address for this program, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, still, maybe, still, kind of, and your chance to uh, see all the music you hear here, as well as so much to read and watch and listen to and wish you hadn't, all at harryshearer.com. And um, as for Twitter, eh, I don't know. A tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego Godest, to the Hawaii desk, to Pam Halstead, and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans for help with this broadcast. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions. It originates through the facilities of WWNO, flagship station in New Orleans, right there in New Orleans. That's what I'm talking about, of the Changes Easy radio network. From Santa Monica, so long from the home of the homeless. (laughs) 